0: Hello listeners and welcome to the 30th episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries where we take everything but ourselves seriously. Uh, I'm your host Devlin Riggs and uh, if I sound a little hoarse today it's uh, because I was running a 5k through downtown St. Louis about four hours ago with some of my colleagues from my real job. Uh, in case you're curious, I finished in just over 30 minutes, which uh, I did not do intentionally to tie in with this episode number. I am just kind of slow. Um, I was in the bottom half of male finishers in the race, which was a little disheartening, but I, I genuinely don't enjoy running. Uh, to me, it's just it's one of those things that's like driving a box truck when you're moving. It It's not fun. It takes longer than you want it to. It it uses a a ton of gas or energy, and and yet you still do it because you have to get uh, you have to to get what you want. Uh, in in my case, it's getting me to not be a fat sack of crap, which has been a continuous and continues to be a uh, a long road, uh, almost completely devoid of cheesecake. Um, but you didn't tune in here to hear about cheesecake, though I do suddenly have an idea for a new podcast here are your top stories much like everything else millennials have taken on much of the blame for the current auto sales slump that has lasted the entire year so far Um, It would be also convenient to blame Hurricane Harvey, which basically removed Houston, uh, one of the biggest automotive sales markets in the country, from selling anything for a few weeks. The port of Houston is also uh, where Fiat Chrysler and a number of other manufacturers bring their cars assembled overseas into the U.S., so imports have taken a hit as well. Um, but the storm is estimated to have totaled about 500,000 cars, so those owners will need new rides here pretty soon, which will cause a huge uptick. Um, but back to millennials, uh, the story went for a long time, oh, millennials want to live in the city and ride their bikes everywhere, and they don't want the hassle of owning a car, so they'll just rent zip cars or ride Ubers everywhere. Well, it turns out, you generalizing douchebag analysts have gotten it wrong again, and millennials do love cars, and are buying them. Uh, more and more these days, uh, and they're not just buying Honda Fits and Mini Coopers either, they're going full in on large SUVs. Uh, the largest group of mid-size and large SUVs Z- SUV buyers right now are between the ages of 35 and 45, which is the early millennials. Um, the analysts, uh, specifically Svenja Goodell, uh chief economist for Zillow, couldn't just let millennials have something nice for once without firing a parting shot, saying, uh, quote, as more people move out of their parents' basements, and there's still quite a few living there, uh, we expect to see continued healthy demand for homes, end quote. Obviously, with home ownership primarily in the suburbs, according to Svenge's data, uh, comes car and SUV ownership. It frequently also comes with children, who tend to have friends and sports hobbies that usually require a larger vehicle. Uh, Even though minivans do the job nicely, Millennials continue Generation X's general irrational and undeserved hatred for them uh, and are consequently led to large SUVs that they don't really need. So, Millennials are basically living life just like their parents and just like Generation X, and they're just doing it on their own time. You know, getting into these sort of things a little bit later on in life versus previous generations. Um, This means that there's going to be an extra 25 million people passing through the 35 to 44-year-old demographic over the next 10 or 15 years or so, which is why forecasts call for more than half of all future vehicles to be SUVs and crossovers of some sort. Uh, Whether or not we need them over perfectly capable wagons is a different question, and maybe we millennials are actually idiots after all. Uh, In other news, after announcing this week that the company would end its controversial practice of tracking users after they leave their cars, Uber finally landed on a new CEO to take over for Travis Kalanick, who you will probably recall from my extensive coverage was uh, ousted after just about a billion things he did or allowed to go wrong during his tenure. The man they picked, uh, and I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, Dara khosro shahi is formerly the ceo of expedia so he has some highly relevant experience in the online travel booking business uh, despite not really being a celebrity ceo uh, so to say khosro shahi was the highest paid ceo in america in 2015 earning uh, 91 million dollars in stock option grants alone Uh, So, it's not like it was either this or waiting in the unemployment line for him. Uh, Under his leadership, though, Expedia doubled its annual revenue from 2012 to 2016, and he's previously commented on being committed to growth rather than margins, which bodes well for users hoping that uh, prices of the ride-sharing service will remain low. Uh, His first task in his new role will be filling a bunch of uh, empty executive vacancies, which shouldn't be too hard for him now that the most polarizing part of the company is busy being a tech bro without the tech part anymore. Uh, It'll be interesting to see if Shahi's hiring stands as a turning point in Uber's corporate culture, and uh, particularly in the company's history. Finally on top stories this week, the Pebble Beach Concours d'Elegance happened a week before last, and in addition to innumerable online galleries of just absolutely drool-worthy photos of uh, delicious cars to peruse, uh, there are usually a couple of notable auctions, and this year was no different. Uh, First, a mint condition, one owner, 1995 McLaren F1, sold for a whopping $14.2 million dollars. Uh, helping up the price tag on this car were the fact that this was the first registered F1 imported into the United States, and that it is also a perfect car in every conceivable way. Um, And if that seems like petty cash to you, then consider the 1956 Aston Martin DBR1 that sold for $22,550,000. Sold at Sotheby's, it was called the most- correct example of what is arguably the most important aston martin ever produced not this specific car but the dbr1 uh racing car was driven by none other than sir sterling moss and carol shelby so you know it has plenty of racing pedigree Uh, this is the only one of the five dbr ones ever produced to go on sale publicly so of course it set records Uh, Not all of the cars there were for sale, though, and one of them was the 1929 Mercedes-Benz S. Barker Tourer, which won Best of Show. The car has been fully restored, but kept as many parts as possible, and it looks great. Uh, But one of the original parts was the original lighting. And think about that. German lights produced at least six years before World War II still work better than you and I do on a Tuesday morning. Now for some quick hits. Just as the education fund was the gift that kept on giving to them, this UAW and Fiat Chrysler embezzlement scandal is the gift that keeps on giving us new criminals. A fourth person, retired UAW associate director Verdell King, was charged in the case this week. She allegedly used credit cards meant for Chrysler employee training to buy herself more than $40,000 in clothing, jewelry, luggage, and other personal items. In the $4.5 million scheme of things, 40 grand isn't that much, but you have to remember that that money was meant to provide training for union members working in Chrysler factories. And you could have bought a lot of hardworking guys a lot of lunches while they watched videos on how to build their cars better. The UAW has expressed their disappointment in the actions, as well as their confidence that nobody who participated in the scandal still works for the UAW, which doesn't actually change the fact that the UAW allowed it to happen in the first place. A lot of this happened in the last five years, so it's not really water under the bridge, and there are only so many times you can say, oh, well, we didn't know about it, so it wasn't our fault, before it just starts to look like you are really shitty at your job. A popular phrase among Neanderthals who like to shit on electric cars is, Well, they're not really clean, you know, their electricity comes from somewhere and it's probably a coal-burning power plant, so you aren't really saving the planet. Uh, Like it or not, those people uh, have a point, Uh, but it's becoming less of an issue as a study this past week from the Imperial College of London found, uh, that EV emissions, uh, electric electricity generated in power stations that is then transferred to EVs when charging, fell by 10% compared with last year, which is uh, up to a third of what it was in 2012. This is due in no small part to the switch being made from electricity generated by coal to that generated by natural gas and renewable sources like wind, solar, and tidal energy. As more renewable sources come online, the carbon intensity of electric vehicles will decrease even more, making them greener and greener. Meanwhile, Mazda and others will refine uh, internal combustion engines to use less gas and become greener themselves. So with these two and many other efforts... ...by your powers combined, I am Captain Captain Planet. 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 In episode 29's Deep Dive, I mentioned that uh, Toyota and Mazda have announced a joint venture to develop new cars and share technology together, and part of that agreement will manifest itself in a $1.6 billion factory somewhere in the United States. That fact has, however, divided the states, uh, each of which is groveling at Toyota and Mazda's feet for a chance to be the home of that factory, and it's anticipated 4,000 jobs. While Michigan and the Midwest have traditionally been home to many assembly plants, the South has gained popularity recently because of strong anti-union sentiment there, which generally saves manufacturers a ton of money. While nothing is technically off the table, experts have gone out of their way to state that no logical company would ever start a factory in Illinois. This despite the fact that their land is perfectly flat for hundreds of miles and full of unskilled laborers. Sorry Illinois, better move to Chicago. Safety in modern cars has come at the cost of certainly vehicle weight, which has grown for pretty much every car not named Miata. With the inclusion of side curtain airbags, many cars have suffered from a lack of visibility as well. In sports cars with long, rakish windshields, it's even worse, which can make for huge blind spots Uh, It's not exactly great for nailing the apexes in tight, winding country roads, much less avoiding the pretty regular deer. Fortunately, Toyota has just patented a technology for invisible A-pillars. Uh, What's missing from this patent is any information about how this system will actually work, though Toyota mentions that previous efforts with such technology have involved screens and cameras, making the tech pretty expensive to integrate. Will Toyota's be cheaper then? Will it use cameras and screens, or just witchcraft? Will we see this on a future Celica, perhaps? Will the patent office just give you patents for any wild idea you send them, even without any sort of credible technical specification for how it will actually work? Probably yes, but certainly more questions than answers right now. Uh, Driving a Chevy Blazer isn't a great idea. Driving a Chevy Blazer while drunk is a really terrible idea. Hitting another car while drunk driving in your blazer is disastrous, but managing to hit 17 cars just while trying to park your drunk ass in your blazer? Absolutely epically bad. But that's just what 25-year-old Tony Futch did in, you guessed it, Florida. Uh, The great news is that Tony didn't hurt anyone, just a whole ton of cars that he will be spending the rest of his life paying to fix. Even though it's a terrible company just take an Uber, people, supporting a company of questionable ethics is still better than taking the wheel after a couple, or, in Tony's case, a couple hundred. According to Bloomberg's lyrical analysis of 280 songs that charted in the top 20 positions of the Billboard Hot 100 between May 2014 and May 2017, we now know that rappers mention Rolls-Royce more than any other car brand— how many times was it mentioned, you asked? 11. In 280 songs, Rolls Royce was mentioned 11 times, while Ferrari was mentioned 9 and Porsche in 7, even though it was probably mispronounced Porsche. Uh, from my auto show wrap ups, you guys know I- I'm a fan of hip hop and I'm a bit surprised that cars aren't mentioned more. In fact, Chevy was mentioned more than Lamborghini, Bentley, or Mercedes Benz. Does all this mean that rappers are getting more modest in a post-recession world? Uh no. This is because more country stars think they can rap and are infiltrating the genre. So look out rolls, Royce. My truck's coming for you. Now for some new cars. Brand new, brand new, brand new, I don't like it unless it's brand new You might see me in my well, with my I've never been a fan of the Ferrari California, and it's not just the concept of a so-called entry-level Ferrari being named after a U.S. state largely obsessed with vanity and posturing, uh, but it just was a a very good-looking car in in my estimation. Uh, But fortunately, Ferrari has fixed both problems this week by unveiling their new Portofino, uh, the new entry-level, term used very loosely, Ferrari. Uh, It's powered by the same turbo 3.9 liter V8 as the California, but tuned to produce uh, 40 more horsepower, which is up to 592, which will take you to 60 miles per hour in just three and a half seconds, which is pretty quick. Uh, Named after an Italian village, the Portofino is much lighter than the outgoing California because Americans are fat. Uh, it's also a pretty car, and and you'll probably see these rolling around outlet malls pretty soon, but uh, just remember that the impoverished paupers driving them couldn't afford any more than the entry-level Ferrari. Let's all pity them. I've mentioned recently that... Uh, Acura was getting back into the prototype racing game, but uh, not in the World Endurance Championships or Le Mans prototype classes. Instead, uh, they are joining the IMSA races with the ARX-05, which they just showed off this week, and the car looks seriously cool. Uh, It's not just a wild design that produces a ton of downforce, it's actually powered by this essentially the same V6 you get in the Acura MDX, RDX, TLX, and all the other X, A- X, 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 Acura models. Granted, that V6 has been twin-turbocharged to hell and back uh, to the tune of 600 horsepower, which you're unlikely to see in your RLX unless you have some serious money and don't really care so much about practicality. Uh, generally, the point of racing is to try out new tech that eventually finds its way uh, into road cars in some fashion or another. And I wish I could say I was confident that Honda would use this Acura race car to come out with an NSX that isn't completely bonkers expensive and have a ton of uh, hybrid technology baked into it. But apart from the Civic Type R, when has Honda actually done something really interesting recently? Uh, In other cars we can't buy news, Mercedes and their Maybach Ultra Super Premium Luxury sub-brand recently announced the Maybach 6 Cabriolet Concept Car. It's an all-electric barge of a car that really must be seen because of how ridiculously opulent it is. Go Google this. Uh, The almost 19-foot car has has four electric motors pumping out 750 horses to 24-inch wheels, propelling passengers to 62 miles per hour in just four seconds, and then on to a limited top speed of 155. Uh, Any faster, and the toupees of the Russian oil barons who buy these things will simply get torn right off their heads. Uh, In case you're concerned about range anxiety for those uh, poor Russian oil barons, this thing will go 311 miles on a single charge, which is plenty of juice to drive from their penthouse London flats to their soccer stadiums to visit the teams they own in the English Premier League. In only slightly more obtainable car news, the new BMW M5 was detailed this week after being leaked on the cover of the new Need for Speed game months ago. Uh, We learned that BMW's halo sedan will put down 600 horsepower from a twin-turbo V8 and it'll go through all four wheels, which is a first for the M5. It'll hit 189 miles per hour if you uh, get the M Drivers package and are the type of person who loves terrorizing backseat drivers and uh, lives near the Autobahn. Uh, Importantly, it's no heavier than the outgoing model despite the all-wheel drive system. Uh, But also importantly, there's no manual option, which is bound to upset uh, a fair amount of uh, purists. Uh, Those people are more than welcome to save their $140,000, which is the starting price for the new M5. Bloody hell. Coming back down to earth, uh, the Volkswagen confirmed that last week... That the microbus will be coming back in 2022 and will be based on their modular electric vehicle platform, like the ID Buzz concept uh, that we saw was last year. Um, it will come with a fun, configurable interior as well as a level three autonomy, which will require some driver attention uh, while the car does much of the actual driving. Uh, we'll see an electric hatchback based on the same platform at some point in 2020 which should provide a good preview of the actual mechanicals beneath this thing, but for now, we'll just have to assume it runs on weed, because, let's face it, a lot of these are just going to smell like they do. Also in electric car news, Ariel, the company that makes the Atom, is uh, which looks like a ridiculous piece of scaffolding just strapped to an engine and wheels, Uh, is looking to make an electric vehicle. Uh, Just like their gas-powered car, though, they're planning for extreme performance and go-kart handling. What type of performance are we talking? How about 0 to 100 in 3.8 seconds? Yes, not 0 to 60 or 102 kilometers per hour, even though 3.8 for that is faster than almost all cars can do. 0 to 100 miles per hour in less than 4 seconds. This all-electric car would be called the P40 and will offer 1,180 horsepower and 1,328 pound-feet of torque, uh, which for a car about the weight of that old grill your parents had you haul from the garage to their patio this year means it's going to go really, really fast. Uh, Lamborghini also dropped some new leather and metal on us this week with their new Alpha 1, which has promised the pinnacle of technology. Uh, the interior is loaded with processors and batteries and uh, looks like it'll handle well and even has uh, an 8-megapixel front-facing camera. Uh, oh, uh, yes, this is, this is a phone. It's not a car. Uh, yes, it's a Lamborghini phone. Uh, I, I probably should have started with that, uh, I, I acknowledge, it. and the fact that it also costs $2,450, uh, so shut up. Uh, if you want to pose as a Lamborghini owner and just happen to have two and a half grand sitting around to spend on a piece of posturing, uh, be sure to save an extra $50 or so because the phone doesn't even come with a wall adapter, just a cable, because it can. Lamborghini. When you hear the words, uh, Mercedes-Benz Special Edition, uh, the mind will automatically jump to legendary cars like the AMG Hammer, the CLK GTR, and the SLS AMG. Well... Open the record book again because a brand new special edition is coming out and it's to commemorate the 10th anniversary of the Mercedes-Benz Sprinter Travel 65. Yes, the passenger van you normally see hauling drunk cougars around vineyards is finally getting the recognition it deserves that nobody really asked for. Uh, Limited to just a production run of 50, the Special Editions will feature a new luxurious seat cushion design, colored piping on the chairs and headrests, and a new navigation map system, in addition to a leather-wrapped multifunction steering wheel. Just as 30 years after its initial production, magazines still reference the Mercedes-Benz 500E as one of the benchmarks for Special Edition sedans, I'm sure Tony and the boys will really recall fondly their trips down the shore in that wicked cool van and that one time when Vinny puked all over the orange seat before the driver could stop and let him out. Finally this week, uh, the most interesting car of the past two weeks, and it's a Hyundai. Yes, uh, fresh off the resounding meh that uh, uh, arose from the unveiling of the new Sonata, Hyundai has acknowledged that no, we don't really want their sedans anymore, but that's okay because they're actually going to produce the Santa Cruz, a concept they showed us back in 2015. For those of you with uh, car knowledge that doesn't go back that far because I wasn't recording then, the Santa Cruz is a small pickup truck, probably based on the Tucson platform. Why is this more interesting than the M5 or the Ferrari Portofino? Well... Pickup buyers these days have relatively few choices. They have the F-150, the Ram, and Silverado as full-size trucks, the Tacoma, Ridgeline, and Colorado as mid-size trucks, and that's about it. Think for a second about how many Ford Rangers or old Tacomas back when they were smaller that you still see out on the road these days. Those small trucks suffice for a lot of work and are great for urban duty when full-size trucks are just overkill and a pain in the ass to drive on city streets. Those Ranger drivers haven't even had a new choice in small trucks here, and now they will, and it's coming from Hyundai. See? Interesting, right? Uh, That's going to be about it this week. Um, I I wanted to write a deep dive on uh, China and Fiat Chrysler, but... Time ran short this week, so I should be able to come back with that next week. Uh, for this week's call to action, I'd like to ask everyone to find a way to help those in need after the after Harvey devastated Houston. Uh, rough, rough estimations are calling for more than $40 billion in repairs just to homes in and around Houston, uh, most of which either don't have or aren't eligible for flood insurance, which means... These folks will be out on their own, paying for repairs to or replacements of their homes, which will cripple these families for decades. And I, I, it's easy for some to say, well, they chose to live in Houston. They probably should have known that this was a potential, especially after Ike. Uh, but, and it sucks to be them. Uh, but mobility, both social and geographical, just aren't as simple as people will make them out to be. And where you live is often a product of consequence rather than choice. So it's our job as compassionate humans to help those in need. Uh, While the Red Cross is always a solid donation, uh, there are a ton of administrative costs associated with donations there and to the United Way. So little of your donations actually get into the hands of Harvey victims. So where to donate instead? Uh, Local organizations are always great. Some big ones uh, are the Greater Houston Community Foundation, uh, the Houston and Galveston Food Banks, the Coalition for Homeless of Houston, Texas Diaper Bank, and if you're into saving puppies like I am, the SPCA of Texas. Uh, We enthusiasts, we're not going to quite account for $40 billion in aid, but as the old saying goes, every little bit helps. With that, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. I thought about leaving you guys today with the sounds of the Mercedes Sprinter Travel seventy 70- sixty five to celebrate its special edition, but no, no, nobody deserves that. Uh, instead, here's the old M five as the new one steps into its spotlight. Have a great holiday weekend, everyone, and I'll see you back here next week. Here is your moment of zen. <laughs> Ah, ah.